got a stool up here in case my legs start uh, giving out. I promise I won't shift to a lazy boy just yet, you know, but uh, we'll give it some time to get used to the stool, but I'll stand as long as it's comfortable. If you didn't know, last Saturday I uh, was working in my barn and was on a ladder, Uh, obviously not well-placed because it fell, but uh, I was leaning over my workbench and uh, the ladder shifted a little bit. And that's all I remember. And then uh, it fell the opposite way I was leaning. And so I face planted onto the workbench and then onto the floor. Uh, and I considered a gift from God that I didn't hit my head, back or neck. And so uh, the brunt of the fall was my knee, uh, shin and my shoulder. And uh, hopefully the knee and shin will just be bruising. The shoulder will f- I'll find out hopefully in a week uh, they, I try to push him to see me earlier, and the guy says, no, nah, I don't want to see you until the swelling goes down. But uh, I ended up having uh, spider fractures on the top of my shoulder. I chipped a bone on the bottom and decided to rip the thing out of socket uh, a, a good way. So um, they were able to get it back in. It took them a little while. Uh, so in ER, they gave me uh, tons of medicine. I always tell people I'm like a horse when it comes to medicine. You got to load me up. And then Abby Beam says, you're like a donkey because they're the ones that take medicines lower. So I just <laughs> come to church and strips that magnificent animal away from me and gives me a new one. And so I'm just trying to find one little semblance of dignity, you know, and can't have it, you know. So I'm like a donkey when it comes to medicine. And, and so I remember they, were, they worked on an ER about five, five tries. They couldn't get it back in. So I went to surgery and thankfully, they didn't have to cut it open. They did what is called a close reduction, which is a fancy word for pop the shoulder back in with a surgeon. And so we'll find out how bad uh, that is. But I'm just, again, grateful. Uh, it's, it's important when something happens uh, to recognize God's providence. And that's what it was. Uh, so many people are injured way worse when they fall down uh, from different heights. And so I'm, again, grateful for what God has done. But it tweaks a little bit what I can do. Uh, here, and uh, at least I know now that Theron has to move all the tables and chairs. You know, I don't know. I can milk this for a year or two, right? <laughs> I'd move that, but I'm worried about my shoulder. Yeah, so uh, that's the salesman enemy, you know, make the most of any situation. But either way, that's, that's the update of where I'm at. Uh, again, looking forward to finishing off spiritual boot camp. This would have been the last week, but we obviously would be one week longer Uh, than before. So this is the one about church, uh, and we have worked through the Bible and its importance and and why we should be in it, why we should be reading it personally. Uh, We've talked through prayer, and now we're working on the church, and then next week will be our responsibility, which is evangelism. And so uh, in the first one with the Bible, I had a lot of resources out, and the last one, I'll have a bunch of resources out. So I'm going to have a copy of a gospel tract that I want everyone to take, samples of other ones, because one of the things we're going to do is be active uh, in what we learn. So we're not just going to hear it, but then we're going to go apply it. And so we'll, we'll walk through evangelism, our responsibility. Uh, we're left as ambassadors uh, to proclaim his glory, proclaim his message. And nothing is more glorious than what he's done to redeem us from our sin, which is something that the whole, uh, all of scripture talks about. But today is church. And, and it, I wrote this down. One of the things I love about America is the can-do attitude. Uh, Americans have a sense of independence and making it on our own. And I, and I love that about America. But that mentality can quickly digress into a Lone Ranger style of thinking where we will only do things on our own 
We refuse to rely on anyone and often run from being reliable for anyone else. And so I don't want to remove what's amazing about our country, but we do, as a people, tend to pull away from any sense of dependence at all because dependence on someone else, it feels constricting, right? If someone depends on me, it feels constricting. If I depend on you, it feels constricting. And the abused version of our independence can trickle into our spiritual lives, and that's where it becomes dangerous. I'm all for us being able to take care of ourselves and and to be who we are and to be the nation that we are and how that functions. But when that trickles into our spiritual life, it's going to twist what we're supposed to be. Um, We want no constraint in our spiritual life. We want to be free to do as we please, no rules and nobody that we need or needs us. We submit only to what makes us feel right or good and not what is best for God's kingdom, for God's church and his people. And I want us to see something when our attitude in our spiritual life becomes that independent, then the standard is not what is good for Christ and what's good for his glory. It becomes what's good for us. And you realize, I hope quickly, that suddenly you're worshiping yourself and you've made yourself your God. That's not how God desires his children to function. Instead, he made it so that we are inseparably dependent upon each other. No one more valuable than the other. None that are expendable. Everyone is needed. And that interaction takes place in his church. You see, the reaction from so many people is this. Why church? Why church? Why do I need church to be spiritual? Why do I need church to worship God? Why can't I be on a mountain? Why can't I be by myself? Why can't I do whatever I want? Why church? Which raises the question of connection. Are we connected and dependent? Um, Is the church to be filled with a bunch? I'm going to sit down. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, Is a church to be filled with a bunch of free spirits floating around looking to find their brand of faith, their way of looking at things, their own spiritual expression? What does the church or what does the Bible have to say about our connection in and to the church? Well, as we dive into God's authoritative word, we see there is one body. Now, throughout scripture, you're going to see multiple metaphors used of the church all carry the same idea of connection, a connection to each other in Christ. I'm going to go through a few of them, and we're going to land back at the idea of a body. Uh, We are his flock. And he is the good shepherd who knows his sheep and is known by his sheep. John 10, 14 says this, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. Um, We are branches with Christ as the vine. John 15, 5 states, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. We are children of the Father, because as John 1, 12 proclaims, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Each of these speak clearly of a deep and needed connection of mutual dependence. Sheep need to be in their flock. They need to be together. They don't function well independently. If you've ever cared for sheep, uh, they don't make the best decisions on their own. Um, They need that care from the shepherd. 
A branch does not survive clipped off of the vine. A family is hurt and broken if a child turns its back and walks away from that relationship. As believers, and I want you to get this with the idea of the question of connection, as believers, we are connected. Yet the the most unique metaphor for the church and one that makes that connectivity glaringly obvious and is used over and over in scripture is the metaphor of the body. Uh, We are a body with Christ as the head. Colossians 1.18 says this at the beginning, and he is the head of the body, the church. And so we realize we're not all independent spiritual beings with no connection to each other, but instead one body with multiple members. So 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 14 says this, for as the body is one and hath many members and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. And I've underlined every time the one shows up, emphasizing that whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. And what is Paul trying to say back and forth? One, your economic circumstances, your cultural background, all those things are not what decide your unity, but we are connected in Christ, but that we all are unique. It's not like someone says, well, I'm going to come to the church and and God's suddenly going to erase everything about who I am. He's made us all unique. And so he brings us in as many members, but Paul is emphasizing that we are one body, one spirit. We're all together. So many members, but not independent of each other, instead dependent one on the other. And not with a hierarchy, but instead a singular purpose. Uh, there are churches that you go into and you realize, oh, there's a hierarchy here. This person is more important than that person. This person is more valued than that person. Well, it's completely unbiblical. We're many members with different giftedness, but all have the same importance in God's eyes, the same value. First Corinthians twelve twenty one says, And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. That's not how it works. Go to verse 25 and 26 of that same chapter. It states this, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. In other words, if you're going to have care one for another, it means you value each other equally. And so as we come into the body, he's not saying we're all going to do the same function. We're not going to do the same thing. We don't We don't solve or serve the same purpose, but we have the same value and we're supposed to treat each other in that way. He goes on, and whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. And you start seeing this idea of one body and this idea of how we are completely connected because there is, and we see there is unity in the body. Romans 12, four through five says this, For as we have many members in one body and all members have not the same office, that means they don't do the same thing. So we being many are one body in Christ and every one members one of another. Unity in the church is not centered around compromise of God's principles. It's centered around being in Christ and the fact that as believers, we don't make distinguishing marks on whether or not someone teaches publicly or doesn't, or 
serves in this capacity. Maybe someone serves more in a care ministry and someone else serves in a more uh, financial committee type of, uh, of way. It doesn't matter where you serve and more administrative. It doesn't matter what the, the public view of that role is, how public you may be. God's making it very clear that everyone members one of another. We're all joined together. We all have the same value, the same um, importance. How is that possible? How is that even possible? Because if we look at our world standard, I mean, anytime you go into a business or anywhere you're going to go, uh, you're going to see a hierarchy. There's going to be a, a standard of importance and one's valued over the other. This is not a world system. You can't take what the world does in organization. I say this, uh, I don't know if I say it all the time. Maybe I think it all the time and think I say it, or I've said it to myself, so I do say it all the time. But the church is not a business. The church is not an organization like we think of an organization. The church is a family. The church is a body. It functions that way. And nothing in the world is going to line up to that. Nothing in the world is going to compare to it. How is that possible? One, because we have been reconciled with God and man, which is the only foundation from which this unity is possible. You find any other level of unity, any other standard of unity, and it's not going to work. And you just have to look around our world, look around our country, look around even in our, our town, and you recognize that you try to make unity anything other than founded on Christ, and it's going to fall apart because we have a difference of opinion about things. We look at things different. We process things differently. Uh, Ephesians 2, 11 through 16 says this, Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. In other words, you're Gentiles and they are Jews. That at at, that, at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. And what you realize is we're reconciled in Christ and that reconciliation as we are believers in Christ brings us together. It's not that we meld our cultures and that we meld every perspective or viewpoint is that our standard and our foundation of unity rest in him and in his reconciliation. MacArthur notes this, through the sacrifice of Christ, we have been reconciled to God and to one another. What does this world need as a church? Everyone says we're so simplistic. Well, we, we know they need the gospel. We know they need to believe in Jesus Christ. We know they need eternal life. And the world looks out there and says, look at all the problems in the world. And you think that's the solution? We don't think that's the solution. We know that's the solution. Because the world has tried everything under the sun. And, and, and we oftentimes... Um, in the United States, we get enamored with our problems. And so we think that everything is just like this. And so our problems are the only problems the world has culturally uh, because we're the melting pot. And so we're going to have all this division. And you go into almost any country. I read a portion of a book and, and there's uh, uh, two, um, and I forget the name of the two groups, 
but two T's and one of them was another group that I'm forgetting. And no kidding, they would ring a bell. And if you were the other group, you could murder your neighbor and take their property. There's not much unity there. If at any moment a bell can ring and someone can murder your neighbor, because at that point they're going to have a divide. There's division all over the world. They've tried innumerable different ways to reconcile that division and it never will work because there's unity found only in Christ. And that's why when the church is disunified, when the church replicates what the world looks like, it's one of the ugliest pictures that can be painted because the church is the picture of Christ's unity. What is possible in Christ? And we're supposed to show that. We've been reconciled. We've also been identified with Christ. This will hit home because our reconciliation, and and I'm going to throw this question out. It's not my notes. What is your identity? We look at a world right now that is just all over the place finding their identity, and it's just some of it is as random as can be. Some of people's identity, I understand why they identify that way. But you see, as a believer, your identity is Christ. You lay everything else aside to be identified with Christ. Our position is in Christ, and we should, be desired, we should desire to be connected to his body, which is the church. As one writer notes, to be in Christ is to be so closely identified with Christ that God never views you apart from his son. That's what it means to be identified with Christ. We are. Do you realize as a believer, when Christ looks down, he sees his son, yet we will portray to the world our own identity, me, where I've come from, my background, my culture. And and look, I have a good time. I come from, uh, I love telling people this. I said, I'm a son of an immigrant. You know, I'm first generation American, which blows everyone's mind, right? No, you can't be a first generation American. I am. My dad finally got legal, you know, three years ago. (laughs) And that's because he's Dutch. You know, he's lived here for 40 some years and finally he's like, yeah, I guess I should be a citizen. You know, that's kind of resigned myself to this reality. But the fact is, and I have a good time with my heritage. I pick on the Honas because they're German. I'll pick on anybody. It doesn't matter who you are. Now I know I need to pick on Abby about being Midwestern. I mean, there's a lot of (laughs) things that I can dive into now. Uh, And I love culture and I love um, that background. I love seeing other cultures and being a part of it and participating. But here's the reality. When God looks at me, he sees Christ. What I portray to the world should be Christ. That is my identity Galatians 3.26, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. And as his children identified in him, we have, as 2 Peter 1.3 says, part of it says, given all things that pertain unto life and godliness. 2 Timothy 1.9-10 says this, who has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us, in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. This is unity in the body because that body consists of those reconciled and identified with their Savior. And building from that point, we see there is now a desire to minister to the body. And that that drives us, and I know I'll mention this a little later, I'm, I'm Zeroing in on one illustration, there's a host of others that we can look at. But 
We are supposed to desire to minister to each other. Paul states in Romans 1, 11 to 12, writing in that church, for I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift. And here's the reality. We, we read that and we say, well, of course, Paul's going to show up. We expect him to give something to the church. We expect him to do something for the church. But you continue on. To the end, ye may be established. That is that I may be comforted by the mutual faith, both of you and me. And so one of the greatest human only teachers, instead of just Christ, God and man, but Paul, one of the, the best teachers ever, to walk the earth, who is used by God to spread the gospel and plant churches all over the world. Here he is saying, I'm going to come to a church that I haven't been to before, and I'm going to be a blessing to that church. I'm going to help them grow. I'm going to benefit them. But he closes by saying, and I want to be benefited by you. And he's telling the church something interesting Here's a guy who starts churches and he tells a church he didn't start that I need you because we are dependent upon each other. Paul was desiring to minister his gifts in the church in Rome and Paul was desiring to be ministered to by the church of Rome. You see, there is unity in ministering found uniquely in the body of Christ and in the church. You're not going to have that in front of a pine tree on the top of old rag or wherever you might hike. I don't even know if there's pine trees up there because I've never been up there. <laughs> so it doesn't look like I'm going to make it up there anytime soon. Um, every part of the body is necessary. If you doubt that, ask someone who broke their arm and see how life is without the use of it for a while. And to make that illustration poignant, I fell off a ladder so that I can tell you it's in inconvenient. Um, get a splinter in your foot, leave it, and then go take a hike and see how fun that is. Or get something in your eye. And then go enjoy a meal. I still remember years ago, uh, this is when I found out I had blood pressure issues lightly. I blew a blood vessel in my eye and I had a, I had a business dinner. And the whole dinner, I was thinking, I hate this dinner. I got to get out of here. Everything hurts. Why? When my eye was bothered, I couldn't enjoy anything else that was going on. You see, each member is needed, which means this. You are needed in this local church. Because if scripture tells us we're all needed, that we're all valued, that we all have a purpose, that we're to function as his body, that means you are, you individually are needed in this local church. You fill a role and when you're not functioning, it leaves a hole. It leaves a void and everyone feels that loss or lack. Believers, we don't just come in and exist neutrally or in neutrality in the church. You don't just come in and exist in church. We function, which means we help the church, or we do not function. And by the way, you hurt the church. You can't have a neutral realm. And so ask yourself this, understanding the concept of the church in light of a body and how it works. Ask yourself, am I crippling the church? If you remove the idea of neutrality, the idea that you can just exist, then you're either functioning in the body and helping, or you're not functioning, which means you're hurting the body. God, I mentioned this, God has been gracious to City Light. Uh, there are uh, gifted teachers that allows us to minister in a way that we're passionate about. We, we have Awana teachers that do a phenomenal job and they're teaching kids and we've seen God bless that. 
I consider the number of kids we have in Awana a gift from God, not skill on our part, but God giving us opportunity. And I love hearing from the teachers how they have capitalized on that opportunity. God's gifted our church. But if they don't exercise their gifts, if they're neutral, if they just exist, then it would hurt the church because we wouldn't have the blessing of that teaching. And so ask yourself, am I crippling the church? Am I helping or hurting? Now, I use the illustration of teaching uh, because it's easy and it's quick to my mind because that's a role that I fill. But there's a host of other components of being involved in the church that are needed, that are critical. Are you helping or hurting? Which drives us immediately to the question of necessity, which is what people ask with the idea of why church, right? Is church really needed? Can't we all just be religious on our own? Can I just have my own religion? Can I just leave me be? Well, the scripture reading uh, was on purpose. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 commands church for us saying, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Now I'm not going to make this point, but notice how it starts. Consider one another and notice that everything associated with church is thinking about the body, how I can be a blessing, how I can help them grow, how I can Whatever it may be, you're thinking of others. And then you go on, it says here, um, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. I just want you to realize in the early church, as the manner of some is, there's always been people that do that, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And look, there's no escaping it. Scripture makes church an absolute necessity because through church, and I, and I like to put this pronoun in front of it, through his church, because we are his. Uh, this isn't our church, it's his church, and we belong to his church. Uh, the church is never the property of one individual or a group of individuals. Instead, it is his body, it is, it is his church, and we are part of his church. And there's no escaping because church is where we see the fulfillment of fellowship and involvement. I'm going to zero in on the idea of spiritual gifts. It is where we exercise our spiritual gifts. Now, spiritual gifts are God-given capacity through which the Holy Spirit ministers. It is not natural human ability. God may use your natural human ability in the exercise of your spiritual gifts, but your spiritual giftedness comes from the Spirit. These gifts are from the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 11 states that in reference to those gifts. It says, all these worketh that one and the self-same spirit. All these gifts that are listed before that, dividing to every man severally as he wills. In other words, the Holy Spirit gifts his church in the unique way that he deems necessary. This is not a selection. We don't decide our giftedness. The Holy Spirit decides that giftedness. Those gifts, and I'm going to list some, teaching, giving, administration, helps, mercy, and there's a host more, are for the benefit of the church. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, but the manifestation of the Spirit, that's how he has gifted you, is given to every man to profit with all. The gifts are for the benefit of the church. This is not something I manipulate, that I brag, that I make my own. I exercise that giftedness in his body, in his church. That is the role that he's given. And, and 
we look at that and oftentimes we see people will, will barter their skill set. They'll brag about their skill set. They'll elevate. And that's not his role. He's gifted you and whatever he's gifted you to do to use that for the growth of his body. That's why we're here. Yet scripture goes into further details about what we do and how we help each other. It is where we minister. It is how we fulfill our responsibilities to each other. Uh, the list is quite long. I'm going to run through some things. Uh, good luck keeping up if you're writing. So um, we're to confess our sins one to another. James 5, 16. Encourage one another. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11. Romans 14, 19. Bear each other's burdens. Galatians 6, 2. Pray for one another. Again, James 5, 16. Be kind to one another. You ever memorize that verse as a kid about, about kindness? Where do you exercise that kindness? It's supposed to be in the church, Ephesians 4.32. Be hospitable, 1 Peter 4.9. Serve one another, Galatians 5.13. Comfort one another, 1 Thessalonians 4.18. Forgive one another, Ephesians 4.32. Admonish one another, Romans 15.14. Teach one another, Colossians 3.16. Exhort one another, Hebrews 3.13. And love one another, and if you were here through the series of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, you can't escape the idea that you need to love one another. 1st John 3, 11 says, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that ye, or that we should love one another. But to minister to each other, to exercise our spiritual gifts, requires us to be a part of the local church. It requires you, and that's why Hebrews is such a critical passage, don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Don't forsake the local gatherings. Don't forsake that because you need to be in the local church to minister. It requires you to be present, to be connected, to be involved. We need each other. We need the church to grow in Christ, to be accountable. By the way, the church needs us to lift it up, to pray for it, to minister to it, to love it. So here's the question I put down for us. Are we here enough to actually fulfill our responsibility of fellowship and involvement? Are we here enough to fulfill our responsibility of fellowship and involvement? Am I present enough to express real consistent love for the body of Christ? And I put present in parentheses for this reason, because you can be here and not present. You can bounce in and out and not be present. You can hang around and not be present. Being present is getting to know the people God has placed around you. As Calvin was praying, the relationships we talk about, that's what we're called to. The gospel is, and we're going to see that with evangelism, we're going to see how it, it, it's oftentimes to the people we know and the relationship we built. One of the reasons we pray uh, through our salvation list, and it's family, friends, and co-workers is our focus because that is your sphere of influence. That's where we've been placed. But we need to be present to exercise our gifts for the local church. I think we can see that the question of necessity is soundly answered. And again, these proofs are not everything that could be presented, but he's showing us the church is needed. You need to be a part of church, but how do we go about it? What does church mean? Which drives us to the question of practice. You see each member, I might have flipped the page. There we go. Yeah. If you go from six to five, the sermon gets awkward. Just so you know. <laughs> we go to the question of practice. I think it's helpful and important to take a glimpse at the early church and what they did. 
Uh, Acts 2, 42 through 47 says this, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And I want to pull out a few things from that passage. Uh, one thing to understand in the early church, we're going to see, uh, we're going to talk about this consistent practice of worship. Well, if you want to go all the way back to Acts 2, you see a meeting every day. Uh, as you work through the book of Acts and on through the New Testament, you're going to see, and I put this, we see a consistent weekly practice of worship. Uh, there's never a specific day mandated in Scripture. There's no command uh, on that. And we'll look at the early church was meeting every day. But the pattern that unfolds to the New Testament was Sunday, the first day of the week. That's seen through Acts. That's, I, I pulled a passage from 1 Corinthians 16 too. When Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, he's talking about a gift that they had promised to help, I think, the church in Jerusalem. And he tells them this. He says, upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him that there be no gathering when I come. Another, he says, when we're going to gather for worship, bring your gift with you. Be there. And so we see this idea, if we look at the practice of church, the question of practice, we're going to see a consistent weekly practice of worship. And we notice that in that, that practice of worship, uh, they gathered to hear the word of God. That was the apostles' doctrine, the foundational content for the believer's growth and maturity. And it was taught faithfully. Why do we preach through scripture at City Light? Why are we adamant about the teaching we provide through Awana, through Youth 180 on Wednesday night, uh, on Sunday morning? Why is it constantly from scripture, expositional preaching going through? Because that's what the church does. They taught the doctrine faithfully. They gathered to fellowship and they gathered to pray. On top of that, we see the consistent exercise of the ordinances as the church was first launching at Pentecost, many were believing and being baptized. Acts 2.41 says this, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Acts 2.47b states, And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And so we see the ordinance of baptism woven into the fabric of the early church. And, and, and just as a part of these people coming to Christ and expressing that in baptism, a public profession of their faith. And that's one of the ordinances of the church that's exercised in the church. Now, if you read through the gospel accounts and you come to Christ on the night before he's betrayed, you see our Lord and Savior institute and command the Lord's Supper, which is the other ordinance, communion, on the night that he was betrayed. And a church that is functioning biblically will be partaking of that supper together, just as Jesus decreed it. And we see that ordinance, the Lord's Supper, celebrated in the worship of the early church. They were consistent in breaking of bread. And MacArthur notes this, it was a reference to the Lord's table or communion, which is mandatory for all Christians to observe. Now, as you look at the early church and then you get to the church in Corinth, you'll notice that 
they celebrated communion and they also celebrated a meal together. And that's what you're seeing in this early church scenario. We almost had that perfectly laid out last week because we were going to have communion and then go celebrate chili together down below with no discrimination. And so we were ready to go. We had to split it up a little bit. Um, but the fact is, when you see them breaking bread together, they are referencing communion. And then off, uh, for them, they would eat together uh, as one. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six makes it clear that it was a testimony of our Lord's sacrifice. Ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Something to be taken seriously It's an ordinance that prompts us to examine ourselves. Paul writes about that. He gave that admonishment to the church in Corinth who had been abusing communion. And it's one that we're going to heed this morning when we partake together. The call is to examine yourself. It is a time of seriousness. It's a time of reminder of what Christ has done and the penalty that he paid for us. And so we are not flippant about it. It's a somber and it's serious. But do not miss that these ordinances are practiced in the church They take place among the believers gathered for worship. So what is the point surrounding the question of practice? Just this, that we see consistent gathering for worship, for for fellowship, for celebrating the ordinances. It was a continual practice in their weekly lives. It was not if they felt like it or if it fits, but instead was what they did. And I highlighted this. It was a priority. And that's my question. Have you made church the priority of your weekly schedule? And I know we can fall, and this this happens because I know people will push back and uh, church has too many things going on, church does too many activities, church does, and they'll have a whole list of things. And I, be honest with you, I just ignore them and then go on and say, yeah, but what's your weekly practice? And the thing is, is it a priority of your life? Because that's what we see here. By the way, there wasn't an Awana program in Acts 2, and there probably wasn't, um, no, no doubt, no Youth 180. And there's a host of things that we do that are ministries of the church. But here's the thing that is mandated, that is shown to us, is that it was a consistent gathering together, and it was on a weekly basis for worship. But for that to take place in your life, it has to be a priority of your life. And so that's why the question, have you made church the priority of your weekly schedule? I want to challenge you, if you haven't, do so. How do you do that, Kenny? It's really easy. Show up on Sunday. Make that a no cancel. That's what happens. That's making it a priority of your weekly schedule. One writer noted that the main goal of the church is to let God work and build his kingdom as we obediently submit to his word and spirit. But that means you need to be consistently involved in your local church. It must be a priority of your weekly schedule. It has to take precedent. It has to be valued. One, I want you to realize it is a command that you do that. And two, you need it for your spiritual health. It must be where you find and desire to find fellowship and involvement. What do I mean by that? It's where you seek your friends. It's where you seek your connections. It's where you seek your relationships. It's where you exercise your spiritual gifts and encourage and exhort your fellow believers. And you see that the the huge component of church is our involvement with each other. Yes, the preaching of the word takes a priority and precedent in the worship service, but it is not the end of it. We are to encourage each other and come alongside of each other and minister to each other and grow our relationships with each other. 
so that we can fulfill what God has called us to do, which we'll again talk more about next week. It must be seen as critical. You are part of the body of Christ and you recognize that a distant and casual attendance and participation will cripple and hurt the church. I want you to see that as you walk out, that when you decide as a believer to not engage, that you're actually hurting the church, that you're hurting God's body. And and I know how it can happen. It's not hard for this to happen. And I mentioned the word distant or casual, because sometimes we might've been hurt and we'll pull back and Satan's chuckling because he knows that hurts the body. But we fixate on what's taken place in the past and we fixate on maybe what's happened. And why that doesn't bring any benefit is because it accomplishes you pulling back or your family pulling back. And so I hope we can be discerning believers and evaluate. This is not me pushing you, and that's why I want to make sure I say it, to sign up for VBS uh, or Awanas or to be a teacher uh, or to work in the nursery. Um, it's not pitching for you to, to, and I think these are all important things, but th- that's not what this is about. It's asking you to be honest about your life and your family and to say, am I engaged? Am I functioning? Am I helping the church or am I not functioning and therefore hurting the church? Am I helping or am I hurting? I put here, does that describe how you think and act toward the church? Is it a priority? Is this where you find and desire your fellowship? Do you view it as critical? Is that how you think and act for the church? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this opportunity we have to dive in and look uh, just briefly about the importance of church and recognize that it is your church. It is what you have left behind. It is the church that the gates of hell will not prevail against. It is the church that has been commissioned to go forth and preach the gospel. Yes, we're going to look at our individual responsibility as well, but we function from a local body. And help us as we we look at the church to one, recognize that the only unity that can be found in this world can be found in church. It doesn't mean it's always there, but it's it's able to be found in church because we've been reconciled uh, by your sacrifice to you and to others. And we identify in you. Our identity is Christ. If we're struggling with distance or casualness, we're struggling with making your worship and your body a priority, I hope that we'll be convicted about that. I hope that you give insight to all the individuals, all the families here to to go and evaluate where they are as a family. And if they have been distant and casual, that they'll be confronted by that and and re-engage. What that looks like, I don't want to necessarily talk through in a service, but we know when we're distant and we know when we're engaged with his body. We know where our passion is. We know where our desires are. And I hope that we'll be convicted and we'll have the discernment to see if change is necessary. Make, help us make your worship a priority of our weekly life. In your precious and holy name, amen.